as an American people, uh, we have a particularly high sensitivity uh, to the need to protect our freedoms. Whether it's the freedom from oppression or freedom of speech or freedom of religion or freedom from abusive government policies or practices, fighting for freedom is the heartbeat of our American society. One uh, professor from Columbia University stated, and I quote, no idea is more fundamental to Americans' sense of ourselves as individuals and as a nation than freedom. Friends, the notion of freedom is a key concept uh, for our society, but it's a key concept not only for American people. Have you considered that the notion of freedom is a key concept for Christianity? For Christians. However, for Christians and Christianity, the notion of freedom is not a right we are born with. It is not a privilege that we bring with us as we are born. Rather, it's a condition that we lack and are in desperate need of. And the Bible tells us that the freedom that we desperately need and lack is not a freedom that we can obtain in our own abilities. It's a freedom that is found only in Jesus Christ. The book of Galatians was written to a group of churches that were in danger of turning away from the freedoms they have obtained in Jesus and returning from that freedom back to bondage. So Paul wants to call the Christians in Galatia to hold on to their freedom in Christ. And this morning, I invite you to open God's Word to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 12. As we will look at the theme of your freedom in Christ. God's Word this morning comes from the book of Galatians chapter 5. From verse 1 to verse 12. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're so glad you're with us. Uh, we hope we get to know you uh, after the service and in the weeks to come. Uh, we are currently working our way through the book of Galatians. And we'd love to have you uh, for the remainder of the series. And uh, if you'd like to know more about what has happened before, you can listen to the sermons online uh, in terms of what has gone before this sermon today. Listen to God's word from Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, 
Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. And the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision... Why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. Amen. A rather strange place to close the reading of God's word this morning. But this is God's word for us. And Lord willing, if the Lord keeps us alive, we'll continue next week with verse 13 through 15 and then on to the rest of the chapter. Let's ask God to bless the preaching of God's word and the hearing for our hearts. Gracious Father, you have revealed to us your word. You have given us Christ and you have poured upon us your Holy Spirit. So through the presence of your Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask that you would speak to our hearts Remind us of the freedom you have given us in Jesus and enable us to stand firm in it. And Father, is there, if there are any here this morning who have not tasted of your freedom, Father, we pray that you would open hearts, awaken souls, bring life to those who are dead in their sins and do it all for the glory of Christ. In his name we pray, amen. We come to a place in this book, in this letter to the Galatians, where the ultimate appeal of the letter is being made in very plain and succinct words. And the, the, the primary appeal of this entire letter, if you were to ask, what is the letter of Galatians about? The primary appeal, the primary call, is found in verse 1. For freedom Christ set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul lands the primary and supreme application of this book, of this entire letter, in these words. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm in the freedom of Christ. Uh, for the rest of this chapter, chapter 5, and then the next chapter, chapter, chapter 6, Paul will unpack different facets of what it means 
to hold on to your freedom in Christ if you have it. And he will unpack for us how to live it out. Uh, today, we are looking just at one facet of this freedom. There's more facets to this freedom and what it means uh, to live it out and how we should be cautious of, of not uh, using, how not to use our freedom. Uh, this morning, however, the facet that the Apostle Paul wants to zoom in, slow down, and focus our attention to is don't squander your freedom in Christ. Stand firm in it. Don't squander your freedom in Christ. Stand firm in it. And this text gives us three principles uh, to help us not squander our freedom in Christ. Why not squander our freedom in Christ? Uh, point number one that we see the first principle, why not to squander our, pre our freedom in Christ? Because Christ obtained your freedom. Because Christ obtained your freedom. Look at verse one. Even before the appeal is made, the Apostle Paul gives a grounds, and the grounds is for freedom, Christ set us free. This verse gives us the first reason why we should not squander our freedom in Christ. Because you did not free yourself. This is not a freedom you fought for. This is not a freedom you obtained with your own effort. Christ freed you. Christ has set you free. He has obtained the freedom for us. Uh, in addition, the verse says, Christ set you free so that you could live in this freedom. So you could remain in this freedom. The reason why Christ set you free is for freedom. He didn't set you free so you could turn back to slavery, so you could turn back to ways of living life that takes you back into slavery. Now, this is an important facet of understanding why Jesus died and rose again for us. If you look at all of Scripture, one of the primary ra reasons why Jesus died uh, for our sins is to grant us forgiveness. The washing away of the sin. But our passage in the book of Galatians tells us that Christ died for us not only to pardon us of our sin, not only to forgive us of our sin, but to obtain freedom for us. Now what is that freedom? What is the freedom that Christ obtained for us. This is where we can easily get in trouble uh, if we insert our own definitions in the words such as freedom, like here. The freedom that Paul wants us to understand is a particular kind of freedom. 
in the book of Galatians, this freedom has two facets. The first facet of the freedom Christ obtained for us was introduced at the very beginning of the book, back in chapter 1. The very first few words that Paul explains when he describes the grace and peace from God the Father. He says in Galatians 1, 3, and 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us. That language of deliverance is the language of making you free. And the question is, from what? Listen to the rest of the verse. Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age. This is the first facet of the freedom Christ obtained for us. To bring us deliverance, to bring us freedom from the current age of evil, of rebellion. According to the Bible, our present age is still in bondage to sin and rebellion against our Maker. And through Jesus, we obtain freedom, deliverance from this present age that is characterized by evil and rebellion against our Maker. The second facet of the freedom that Christ obtained for us is the freedom from God's condemnation. It's the freedom from God's condemnation. The freedom of being guilty before God's judgment seat. The language used for this freedom from God's condemnation the language used in the book of Galatians is being justified. Being justified. So whenever you see the language of being justified in the book of Galatians, and it's all over the place, it's a language of being freed from God's condemnation. And this freedom, the Apostle Paul argues in this book, this freedom comes apart from the works of the law of the Old Testament, because it's given to us by Jesus. Just a review, listen to the words that Paul said in chapter 2, verse 16. Paul said, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law no one will be justified. No one will be freed from God's condemnation by works of the law. So the freedom Paul speaks of in this book has to do not with our rights and privileges, which is often the first thing when we think as American people of freedom, right? Rights and privileges. That is not the freedom that we ought to understand when Paul sa says to us, for freedom Christ set us free. Rather, it's about our status before the judgment seat of God. And the question is, 
on what do we place our confidence that we will be found free of condemnation before God's throne on that day? This is a big question for us. On what will we place our confidence that we will be found free from condemnation before God's throne on that day? On that day of reckoning, on that day of account that God has set uh, for all the universe. Paul has been arguing in this letter that our only hope to be free from that condemnation from the condemnation before God's judgment seat is not the Old Testament law, but Jesus. And if we rely back, if we go back to works of the law, performing what God requires in the law, if we go to the law to find confidence for that freedom before God's throne of judgment, if we go back to the law, for our freedom, we go back to slavery. This is a pressure Paul experienced in the early years of being a Christian. Earlier in the book of Galatians, he tells us a little testimony of what he encountered at one time. He says in Galatians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 4, Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us back into slavery. Paul spoke of his past experience when he was a Christian and, and some of the Judaizers came in and they spied, and he says, on the freedom that we have in Christ. Paul was very clear and certain that he had a freedom in Jesus. This is a confidence that we have as Christians. There's a freedom we experience. There's a freedom that we have when we are one with Christ. What is a freedom that he speaks of? It's a freedom of condemna of, of, from condemnation, of breaking God's law. So Paul says, remain in that freedom obtained by Jesus. Stand firm in it. Remember that you no longer need to work to buy your freedom from that guilt. I love the lyrics of a beloved hymn that we often sing here. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because a sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. This is a freedom that we have in Christ. Do you have this freedom? Can you say... This is a freedom I have in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, if you don't consider yourself a Christian, you don't have this freedom yet. And those who are truly Christians, 
have it. And they know it. And if that's not you this morning, I wonder what will you bring up at God's judgment seat to plead for your freedom? Will you say, God, I've been a good person. I haven't done all the bad things that I saw on the news. I've been better than my neighbor. I've been kind. I even went to church. Oh, friends, consider, consider that our freedom from condemnation before the judgment seat of God, there's only one ground, only one legitimate ground for that freedom, and that is Jesus Christ. This is the wonderful news of the gospel, that those who turn away from rebellion, from their rebellion against their maker, and who turn instead to Jesus and trust in Jesus, receive freedom from Jesus, the freedom he obtained for us, freedom from condemnation of breaking God's law, so that we can stand before God as a freed people. Oh, my dear friends, if that is not you this morning, I pray that you would turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ this morning. Receive the freedom that Christ obtained for us. Turn to Him in trust. And if you'd like to know what that means, when the service is dismissed, come and talk to one of the pastors here. We'd love to set up a time to visit with you either later today or during the week to make sure you understand the good news of the gospel so that you can experience in your own heart, in your own soul, the freedom that Christ has obtained for us. Have you received the freedom? If you have not yet, today you can do by turning to Jesus. Don't squander your freedom. Because Jesus obtained it. Point number two, don't squander your freedom. If you add to your grounds for freedom, you lose it all. Point number two, if you add to your grounds for freedom, you lose it all. We see this in verses 2 to 6. Paul sets up a contrast between the path the Galatians uh, want to take and the path that Paul has been running. The path the Galatians have taken is a path of adding grounds for their freedom before God's judgment, and particularly by getting circumcised. Uh, specifically, uh, they wanted to add circumcision as a requirement so they could be righteous in God's sight through circumcision. And Paul lays out the devastating effects of taking the path of adding more grounds to Jesus in order to obtain the freedom. It's the Jesus plus in order to gain our freedom. And Paul lays out the devastating effects of that in verses 2 and 4, 2 to 4. Listen to the, to the words Paul says. And you, can, and you can hear in his tone 
when he says, look, I, Paul, say to you. I mean, it doesn't get more firm than this. If you accept circumcision, Paul says, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Then he goes on again and says, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Do you hear the warnings that he gives? This is Paul's way of saying, if you take the path of finding more grounds for freedom than Jesus, if you try to find your freedom from condemnation before God's throne by Jesus plus something else, and particularly by circumcision in this case, then he says you have to obey all the law, then Christ's benefits are no advantage to you whatsoever. Instead of being united to Christ, you're actually severed. You can just picture this rupture. And then you have fallen from grace. Here's the logic. If you think that your obedience of God's law is going to count anything for your freedom from condemnation before God's seat, you are saying no to Christ and to God's grace. The only means of obtaining freedom from condemnation is entirely and exclusively through Jesus. Our guilt was credited to him in entirety. His perfection and his perfect obedience is credited to us as our righteousness in entirety if we place our trust in Jesus. This is why the teachings of the Roman Catholic Church and the teachings of the Eastern Orthodox Church have been corrupted by adding that our good works are necessary grounds for our freedom from God's judgment, from God's condemnation on the day of judgment. Now, as the book of James will tell us, good works are necessary. They are necessary for salvation, we'll say in the book of James but not as the grounds of obtaining freedom from condemnation, but as evidence that the faith we have placed in Jesus is the living, true faith. Here in Galatians, Paul is concerned about adding more to the grounds of our freedom from condemnation. Here in Galatians, Paul is dealing with a different battle that the Apostle James deals with in the book of James, as our Sunday school class will be learning. Here, Paul is concerned that the Galatians are looking at circumcision as an additional requirement in order to be counted free before God's seat of judgment. Now, how do we know that? Because not only does Paul expose their path 
of adding to Christ. But Paul contrasts their path with his path. In verses 5 and 6, Paul shows a contrast. If the Galatians have gone the wrong way, the way of circumcision, the way of trying to be justified by the law, in verses 5 and 6, Paul says, here's the right path. He says in verse 5, For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Do you see where Paul is putting his confidence for his freedom? Eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. Who is the hope of righteousness? He says in verse 6, it's Jesus. And he says, if in Christ, if we are in Christ, there's no more circumcision or uncircumcision. Paul is looking to put his confidence in Jesus and he calls him the hope of righteousness. This is Paul's hope to be found righteous before God's seat of judgment. It's not his righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. For Paul, this hope of righteousness is an active faith that causes Paul to eagerly wait for Jesus. The faith in Jesus that brings us freedom from condemnation is not a static faith that you have exercised once when you were young and put on the shelf to collect dust. Oh no, it's an active faith that continues to keep one's eyes focused on Christ, eagerly waiting for the hope of righteousness. Oh friends, Paul says, I don't, it's not about caring whether you're circumcised or uncircumcised. I care about the faith that has its eyes set on Jesus. And this faith that has its eyes set on Christ, waiting for his return, because we know that our righteousness is in him, that faith in Jesus not only is waiting eagerly for him, it's also displayed through new affections. It's a faith that is manifested through new affections. That's why at the end of verse 6 he says, faith displayed through love. Friends, our holiness of life is no longer the ground of our freedom. Our holiness of life is the manifestation that we have been freed. And our holiness of life is a manifestation of our longing for the full consummation of that freedom to be made manifest at the coming of Christ. So Paul's point in the contrast he displays in these verses from verse 4 to 6 is to tell us plainly, if you add any personal grounds for your freedom from God's condemnation, other than Jesus, you lose that freedom. You lose Christ. You lose His grace. You're obligated to hold, to hold to the entire law. And you have no chance because you've already broken it. Instead, Paul says, the path of faith is a path that remains focused on Jesus as a ground for our freedom from God's condemnation. And it's of an active faith. A faith that is eagerly waiting for the full consummation 
of the hope of our righteousness, which is not in us, but in him. That's why the song we have sung earlier before the sermon, Not in Me, is an outstanding song that summarizes a doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. This is a picture of the faith that, that Paul wants the Galatians to have. Hold on to this faith. Hold on to this freedom that Christ obtained for us. Don't add grounds to this freedom as well intended as you may be. If you do, you lose it all. Friends, what are the things that you trust in as grounds for freedom from God's condemnation? Do you think that acting religiously, coming to church, reading your Bible, even daily, will be enough to obtain your freedom from God's condemnation on that day? Do you think that acting kindly towards others will be enough to obtain your freedom from condemnation on that day? Do you think that working for justice will give you grounds to be justified before God on that day? Friends, these are things we should do. But none of these are grounds for our freedom from God's condemnation. Only Christ will be the sufficient ground for our righteous standing before God's throne. So ask yourself today, is your heart eagerly waiting for Christ as the hope of your righteousness before God? Don't squander your freedom in Christ by adding your performance of God's laws as grounds for that freedom. And you know what happens for us as Christians when we hold on to this uh, freedom in Christ, and we don't add our performance of the law as grounds for that freedom, we're actually freed to live holy. Not on a spectrum of whether or not we are performing enough for God. We have the freedom to live holy lives out of a heart of gratitude not out of a heart of duty. And that makes such a big difference in how you live your holy life. When you live your holiness always with a sense of duty, you'll be haunted by those thoughts. I wonder if I did it enough today. And when you fail at it, and when you fall short of it, You'll beat yourself. You'll constantly be consumed, thinking, I wonder, I wonder if God will punish me today or tomorrow. I wonder if, if God will look favorably upon me today or tomorrow. Friends, when you understand that our freedom before God comes entirely through Jesus, you're actually freed to live and pursue a holy life out of gratitude for God. I pray that that freedom is ours. I pray that we would pursue living a holy life out of that freedom. Thirdly, a third principle that Paul brings for us. Don't squander your freedom in Christ. 
there's still time to correct today. There's still time to correct today. This is what we see in verses 7 through 10 and then to 12, uh, the passage we've read today. The first part is a few verses in 7 through 10 and then 11 and 12. In verses 7 through 10, Paul uses two illustrations to help the believers in Galatia to correct their course. It's an illustration of running a race and the illustration of leaven in a batch of dough. In verse 7, Paul paints the Christian life as a race that the Christians in Galatia have started. They've started running it. And Paul says to them, you've started the run well. But someone has thrown in a hindrance. Look at verse 7. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? And by the way, you see here, the path of faith is not just a path of mental acceptance. It's a path of obeying the truth. Again, this is not the obedience in terms of performing the law. Rather, the picture here is the faith that embraces Christ with our entire lives. It's, it's that faith that pursues Jesus with everything we have. Instead of obeying God's truth, the Galatians began following a new persuasion. As we have seen, that persuasion was the requirement of keeping the Old Testament law, and particularly through the act of circumcision, as a ground for their freedom. Paul makes it clear that this persuasion is not from God and has hindered their running the Christian race. This means that one way for us not to squander our freedom in Christ is to see hindrances for what they are. And legalism, the teaching that we earn our freedom before God's seat of judgment by our effort, by our performance of the law, Legalism is a hindrance to the Christian race. Our obedience to the truth of God comes only as we put our exclusive confidence in the righteousness of Jesus. When we place our trust in Jesus, our obedience to the truth becomes not the ground of our freedom, but the fruit of our freedom. In verse 9, Paul adds another illustration, this time from the realm of cooking. A small amount of leaven affects the entire lump of dough. The point of this illustration is that they should not minimize the impact of this new persuasion. Paul gives these warnings in hope that the Galatians will correct their course and come back to a right understanding of our freedom in Christ. Paul says in verse 10, I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view. This is the hopeful note in a letter that is filled to the brim with correction and warning and, 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 and really scolding when necessary. Paul here brings his confident hope that the, the Galatians will take no other view. But notice, notice in what Paul is placing his confidence for their correction. Now he wrote this letter. Paul wrote this letter that they would be awakened. But Paul's confidence is not even in the letter he wrote them. Paul's confidence is in the Lord. He says, I have confidence in the Lord. Well, friends, 
if Christ gave his life to bring us freedom, we can find confidence in the Lord that he will help us stay the course in that freedom. Paul brings also confidence, shows his confidence, not only in the fact that the Galatians will correct, but also that those who lead them astray will pay for it. He says, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. He says, I have confidence in the Lord for that as well. If Christ gave his life to bring freedom to God's people, anyone who dares to mislead God's people from that freedom and bring them back to bondage will pay a heavy price. And Paul has to clarify to the Galatians that he himself is not part of those who have been preaching this circumcision, this persuasion stuff. Paul has to say that their corrupt persuasion promoted uh, somehow a lie and a suspicious thought that even Paul himself had been promoting this circumcision. Now you might say, what would give them reason to think that Paul would preach circumcision? Part of the reason is that um, at some point earlier, Paul asked Timothy to get circumcised. Say, well, why did Paul ask Timothy to get circumcised? Well, certainly it was not because of the grounds for justification. Paul was not teaching that we are made righteous before God through circumcision. Paul clarifies that one evidence that he has not been promoting the false teaching of needing circumcision for our justification is the fact that he continues to be persecuted by the Jews. He says in verse 11, but if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul shows how emphatic he is against preaching circumcision. If he did so, he says the offense of the cross would be removed. In other words, the cross offends the Jews by telling them that through Jesus, through what Jesus accomplished, all that was necessary for our salvation has been laid down. There's nothing else needed. So for Jews to hear that circumcision was no longer necessary to be found righteous before God was an offense. Paul further shows his disdain for those who preach circumcision by saying in verse 12, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Paul has no kind words for those who unsettle the Galatian churches from running their race of the Christian life in the freedom obtained by Jesus. Paul's proof is a fact that he is persecuted by the Jews. Oh, friends, if he preached circumcision, the cross would be no more offensive. What offended the Jews was that Christ was sufficient. I wonder if you this morning consider the same offense of the cross. Christ is sufficient. I don't need to add anything to my sufficient standing before God in order to be made free before his seat. Verse 12, and in Paul's vivid affections against circumcision shows us that we should not mess with the freedom that Christ obtained for us And if we have been lured in thinking that our freedom before God's seat is somehow added to through our 
through our performance of God's law, Paul tells us there's room today to make it right. Give up confidence in your performance and trust in Christ alone. If you do, you will obtain that freedom. If you don't, you are in trouble. Paul pleads with the Galatians not to squander their freedom in Christ, but to stand firm in it. And he has given us these principles to help us stand firm in this freedom. Because Christ obtained our freedom, and if you add to your grounds for freedom, you lose it all, there's still time to correct today. Friends, we know how to fight for our freedoms in this country as an American people. And we're greatly troubled when we see freedom taken away or encroached upon us as an American people. But I wonder, as Christians, do we have the same zeal and the same eagerness to protect the freedom obtained for us in Jesus and to stand firm in that freedom and to help one another stand firm in that freedom? Or do we care more about our national freedoms than the freedom we have in Christ? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we praise you for the way you have made it possible for us to experience a freedom that we could never, ever obtain in our efforts, in our goodness, in our self-regard, in our accomplishments. But Father, you have granted to us a freedom through Jesus Christ, your Son. And you have given that freedom to us by faith. And you have called us to stand in that freedom and to walk in that freedom. Father, we pray, would you help us do so? And would you cause our hearts to be zealous for this freedom so that we may not only walk in it ourselves, but encourage one another to stand firm in it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.